So I'm back in Ibiza. It's uh, the beginning of December. Uh, here the weather is still it's beautiful. It's, it's mild. It's uh, in the mid-teens in Celsius. I'm walking along a dirt path near the village of San Juan. San Juan is a small village in the north of the island. Many people, when they hear the name Ibiza, they think of the south of the island, where all the nightclubs are and the big parties. The north of the island is very different. It's focused on consciousness, really, um, awareness. I'd say it's focused on perception. And you can maybe hear the, the gravel underfoot. It's a beautiful path. And I'm just taking note of the birds and their moment of taking flight and thinking about that moment of taking flight as a metaphor about freedom and that the first step to freedom, the first step to flying is actually letting go and letting go of the purchase, letting go of the thing that keeps us grounded. In this case, the birds letting go of the branch. In the case of the human brain, it's letting go of the assumptions and biases that define us. So the first step from A to B, I like to say in my book Deviate, is not from A to B, it's from A to not A. Not A being to let go of those assumptions and biases that define you. But that can be very hard because to let go of what you thought to be true before, especially about yourself, is to let go of uh, one of the greatest certainties we have and to step to the very place that we evolved to avoid which we talk a lot about here on this podcast which is the space of uncertainty. This particular uh, podcast is all about letting go and turning left and going on an adventure. An adventure, remember, is not about stepping into uncertainty. It's to embrace the uncertainty that already exists but to re-mean it and to expand from it. So I hope you enjoy this podcast and thank you for listening. For weeks leading up to July 5th, the first day of my turning left, I'd been organizing, shifting, stacking, sometimes piling only to then unpile. I was packing up my home, reducing it to labeled brown boxes. On July 3rd, all but me, two duffel bags and a sleeping bag were put into storage. That night, sitting in an empty abode, which friends knew as the cove, as it was a safe place for pirates, I ate on the hardwood floor in silence, in the amber glow of candles, fairy lights, and a fire. I slept there too. Two days later, I left. Which quickly brings me to the point of this episode. All adventures begin in the same way. They begin with leaving. Myself and Rich Clark, who has been fundamental to the lab's research for many years actually, studied the brain and the behavior of bumblebees. They are amazing. They can count to at least five. They can recognize human faces. And when they leave their homes for the first time, they do what you or I would do. They look back by flying in increasingly large arcs while facing their door as they move away from it. They are remembering. We are no different. We too look back. And remember, when packing up the cove, one of the most significant tasks was the books. There are hundreds. Prior to the movers coming, I had to take them down from shelves that towered 13 feet in order for them to be stored. I never throw a book away. 
I don't understand how one could, especially once read. Each is an adventure told or soon to be told. The words on the page are only parts of its adventure. It's a living document written in coffee stains, folds, and margins in pen. Seeing its binding on the shelf is a bookmark in one's life. The cafes, the landscapes, and beds where it was read, and maybe even with whom. Books are prescient. Their words find us when we need them. Dostoevsky's imagination in the Brothers Karamazov was written in parchment. It has since been rewritten in the axons and dendrites of cells in my hippocampus, amygdala, and cortex, which encode the places, emotions, and meanings of his imagination. But so too are the landscapes of San Francisco, my sister Christa's home, and the pain of my, well, first divorce 25 years ago, where Dostoevsky's word found me. Alyosha and Ashley are now forever woven together in my mind. After closing the front door of this cove for the last time, I got into my rented ragtop with my two duffel bags for company, and, like a bumblebee, I looked back. I saw the meaning that lay behind its facade. I then realized that each facade on 11th Street, just up from Jerry's Cleaners, where my boys would deliver clothes by skateboard when visiting from England, and down from the corner shop whose wonderful owner held an extra key just in case a friend, a pirate, needed a place or a cove to hide. This row of houses is like a spine of books on a shelf with the story of its pages inside. Looking back is why leaving is hard, because we know that it will require letting go, throwing away the book. Everything you do, see, know, and believe is grounded in your assumptions and biases that are encoded in the structure of your brain. Some of them you authored. Most you didn't. They were inherited through the past stories that have been projected onto you. A parent's, a society's, or a culture's trauma or victory. Fears, triggers, and beliefs, as well as values. When projected early in your life, when your brain is most plastic, become blindly self-evident. They are your intuitions. Perceptual laws that you don't question because you don't even know they are there. When asked to explore them, the answer is usually, explore what? Or simply, no. The physics of no is to treat one's assumptions as objective, physical truth like gravity, instead of what they really are, subjective truths that might or might not have legitimacy, despite their legitimate feelings. Which means that most of the assumptions and biases that shape who you are, you don't even know you have. It's why marketing surveys often fail, because people give answers that they think are true or would like to be true. If you don't believe me, let's play a game. Let's see if I can read your mind right now from this distance of a podcast. So what I want you to do is to imagine that you're going to draw two shapes. So imagine in your mind a white piece of paper and a black pen. The first shape I want you to draw is a shape like, you know, like a cloud. Maybe it has five or six plumes coming out, but it's a nice, rounded, lovely shape. The second shape I want you to draw in your mind is a shape where instead of those rounded plumes coming out, they are points, okay? So six or seven hard points going out. Now, these two shapes don't have names. They're not circles, diamonds, or squares. They're just shapes in your mind. Now I'm gonna give you two sounds. The first sound is kiki. The second sound is boo-boo. Now these two sounds also have no meaning, at least in English language. Now, as an independent, free-thinking person who knows yourself, tell me, which of these shapes is kiki and which is boo-boo? 
I'm guessing that you said the shape that's rounded is boo-boo and the one that is sharp is kiki. If true, the question is why? Why did you answer this way? What are the assumptions and biases that encode in your brain that drove this decision? Keep in mind that we're just talking about shapes and sounds here. So if you don't know the answer at this level, how on earth can you ever be certain of the reasons you tell yourself for the more complex perceptions of choice, like the perception of another person whose brain, unlike your own, you literally have no access to? The assumptions that you're unaware of, which unconsciously drove your choices in relation to Kiki and Boo Boo, is pain. Pain doesn't exist. Knives are not painful in themselves. Pain is not a thing. It is a sometimes useful perception of a thing. Pain is a meaning. If living systems weren't here to perceive it, sharp things would still exist. Pain wouldn't. And your brain is very sensitive to what might be painful. And that anticipation we often then project onto others in the guise of protection. It's why you see children who are only two feet tall moving less than one mile per hour on a four-wheel pushboard with elbow and knee pads, gloves and a helmet. They are being taught in that moment that life is dangerous, even when they are not experiencing pain firsthand. It's why a child will look up at you immediately after a relatively minor fall. They are asking you with their eyes, did that hurt? It's your response that will determine whether it does for them. It's your fear that would become encoded in their brain as their fear. Your brain is seeing not the shapes, but their meaning. The sharp sound of kiki and the pointed lines of the sharp shape are both potentially and unconsciously painful, whereas the rounded shape and boo-boo are not. It's also why if I give you the words love and hate, you'll say that the sharp shape is hate and the rounded boo-boo-like shape is love. Why? Because the meaning of hate in your brain is pain. If I prick your finger and say the word hate, I activate the same brain area. Finally consider the fact that if I ask you which shape is odio, if you're a native English speaker, you will probably say it's the rounded boo-boo-like shape. But if you're a native Spanish speaker, you'll say the opposite. Why? Because in Spanish, the meaning of odio is hate. What is true at the lowest level of perception is true at the most complex. We are hidden to ourselves, often purposefully so, since self-honesty is hard and blame is easy. Only one of them requires proaction, responsibility, and integrity. You decide which. Remember, the first step from A to B is not B. It's from A to not A. The first step is to leave. If your adventure is going to be successful, you will need to let go of the assumptions that define you. And that will be hard, since that is the step into our greatest fear, the uncertainty of self. If you cannot predict you, what do you have? What you have is potential, the potential of expanding. Expanding your perception isn't found in battle, in the motif of a Viking warrior. True strength reveals itself not in the battle with oneself to remain still, but in the surrender, in the acknowledgement of weakness that the warrior often defends against, and the first step into movement. It's the opposite of everything you've ever been. It's to not defend your current self. Which is why we often experience the fear, uncertainty, and confusion when considering letting go, but also clarity and expansion on the other side of it, and why we need a certainty from which to bridge into not A. What can be that bridge? It's love. Love helps us leave. 
As my mom says, life is a series of choices and the essence of life is love. Two days ago, I turned left yet again. I started cycling from Seattle to San Francisco, a 1,500-kilometer journey into Not A. As with my first turning left from New York to Seattle via Maine by car, I purposely do not have a plan. I'm looking for side roads, but this time the true meaning of getting lost will be felt. For when you travel under your own power, you don't just see the landscape, you feel it. You don't just see the hill, you feel its behavioral significance to your brain and body. In fact, when your brain sees an incline while its body carries a heavy pack, it will perceive the incline to be steeper than it really is. Equally, you don't just see the descent onto the other side, you feel the exhilaration as your soul's potential energy is released. The meaning of the hill's descent is the freedom of letting go. The meaning of the hill's ascent is the pain of leaving what previously defined you. Hence the power of love in the moment of leaving. Steve Lilliberg is a dear friend of 40 years. We grew up together. We got in trouble together, played soccer together. He is much taller and stronger than I. For most of these years, he remained in the Seattle area, solid, whereas I pursued a more vagabond life. Our politics 40 years on is very different, maybe even opposing, maybe even conflicting. But there is no conflict. There is a loving friendship. Steve was there to send me off in 1990 when I first rode from Seattle to San Francisco in winter, 32 years ago. And he was there with his wife, Tammy, also a friend of 40 years, 32 years later, helping me to leave, to turn left again. It used to be the case that what mattered most in another person, what was inside their heart, not the box they ticked on election night. While we have different views, Steve's heart is enormous. It's why he needs a six foot three container to carry it. He cares deeply. And through that care, he didn't try to convince me to stay. He didn't try and protect me from risk. For love enables those we care for to take risk. Love is a sandbar, a cove, a place to return to, to rest in order to leave and risk again. Steve woke early with Tammy, carried my bike in the back of his enormous pickup, went with me, on the hour-long ferry from Seattle to Bremerton. He and Tammy bought me a beer and a taco, and before I hopped on my bike, we toasted to adventure with a shot of tequila, twice. True gifts cost effort, objectively. When done with love, the cost is not felt, subjectively. It's because a true gift is not in the service of oneself. It's not reserved only for those with whom we share the same politics, the same views, the same occupation, or same community. It's done in service of caring, indifferent to difference. For what is essential, the essence of life, it is for love. Thank you for listening. My name is Bo Lotto, and thank you for listening to my Expanding Perception podcast, which will be an ever-expanding story of the neuroscience of uncertainty and how we can not just cope with it, but expand because of it. My aim in creating this podcast is really to try to help you increase your perceptual intelligence, which will give you the ability to make the decisions and take the actions that will foster a more loving, adaptable, and optimistic life in an increasingly uncertain world. My hope is that this podcast will help you in your journey to self-honesty, which is one of the hardest journeys we can take in our life, since it's a never-ending practice and might take you to places that you might want to avoid. 
But if you have the courage and compassion to go on this journey, you'll find that it's worth it. And it will create true authenticity in your way of being. A deeper consideration of many of the ideas in the Expanding Perception podcast can be found in my book, Deviate, The Creative Power of Transforming Your Perception. You can also follow me and my Lab of Misfits on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. You can also take part in experiments on the Lab of Misfits website that we've designed just for you to help you better understand who you are. So thank you, and I hope you enjoy these episodes. <music>